All right, it's take two uh, with playing with media. Um, thank you all for this opportunity to be here, and I'll uh, abbreviate my, my beginning slides here a little bit. But uh, I basically want to point out here at the outset that our media consumption habits are changing a lot in our homes and in, in a, you know, to differing degrees at school as well. But this was a photograph from 2007 on a Saturday morning. And this past summer in August, I took a photo and recognized that, you know, my kids are not you know, of course, they're not watching cartoons on a Saturday um, like we used to, but they're consuming things with uh, devices like iPads and um, looking at videos with Netflix and things like that. So this past year, I had a chance to listen to a wonderful audiobook by Kevin Kelly called What Technology Wants. And my favorite quotation from that particular book was this one about tremendous technology. And he observes that tremendous technologies um, are only tremendous if they can be abused. And, and the reverse of that is true as well. And as I share these ideas today, what I want to encourage all of us to really step up to is our responsibility, not only as teachers, but also as parents and adults in our communities, to help students use these tremendous technology tools in their pockets and at their fingertips in constructive and positive ways, rather than the destructive and hurtful ways that we generally hear the most about in mainstream media. This slide from the web blog Gizmodo in April of 2011 summarizes a lot of what's happening online with respect to, to media and to information. And we truly do live in a different, in, um, a different landscape for media and we can't ignore this as educators. I loved what um, we heard Astro just talk about as far as clear, clear communication. And one of the ways that I hope you hear my message today is a call for us to be multimedia communicators as teachers and to help our students communicate with media. Just because students have a Facebook account and they may seem fearless in their use of media doesn't mean that they're effective communicators, and it doesn't mean that they are leveraging the very diverse and robust array of media choices that we have today um, as consumers, not just to consume, but to produce. So notice on this graph how many of these things involve the production or the creation of media. And that hasn't been what we've focused on in school. We've tended to really focus on, you know, students as consumers, um, as, as more passive participants in the education process. And so my call is very much to engage students in uh, learning, which involves the active creation of media content, making that shift from media consumer to media producer. So this summer I finished a, my first book called Playing with Media, and the book is divided into to different chapters. There is a chapter, you know, kind of on why this is important, and I talk about common core standards and, you know, uh, NCTE, uh, National Council of Teachers of English standards that reference technology and things like that. But the bulk of it focuses on digital text, images, audio, and video. And what I'd like to provide you with an overview today are some specific examples of student projects that are being, have been created and are being created using these different tools and to inspire you to both create and share these kinds of uh, projects with your students and have them create them. So although I created the book as an ebook, my youngest uh, child, Rachel, was the illustrator. And I must say that, you know, saying this is an ebook and it's on Amazon.com doesn't have the impact on a young person as 
having a book in her hands, you know, with her name on it. And so one of the other things I want to encourage you to think about is creating your own ebooks and print books with your students. Because of print on demand and because of wonderful uh, ebook creation software that's available free and, and in some cases you may already have some of those kinds of tools uh, on your computer, we can create these kinds of ebooks and help students define themselves as authors and as content creators. And those things are really, really important, not just to, you know, wait and do in, in high school, but to do early. I was excited, probably as many of you here a couple weeks ago at the end of September when Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon.com, announced the Kindle Fire and very excited about this idea of it being a $200 device. But I'm not nearly as excited about this device as I am devices which allow us to create content and allow us to share. And I'm going to talk a little bit in this session about why the, the right answer to ask in school isn't, you know, do we need to buy a Fire, a Kindle Fire, or do we need to buy an iPad? It's really about what you want to do. But if your students are creating eBooks and they can be accessed on these devices, which are exploding now, are going to continue to explode and proliferate, you know, there's a lot of positive learning power in that whole process and the excitement that surrounds that. And so that's what I want to challenge you to do. So for the first time, I'm excited to say that for this event, I have created a special discount code for playing with media. Um, the regular ebook is uh, $9.99, but what I have done is created um, a special discount code. And before I share that, um, I want to share with you a playing with media classroom challenge. And so this challenge is in the school year in which where we're in right now, um, in the 2011-2012 school year if, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere. I challenge you, I throw down the glove, to share at least one student project online on the public web, not hidden behind a password in your Moodle or, or um, you know, district uh, walled garden, but on the public web with student and parent permission, a project with digital text, a project with images, a project with audio, a project with video, and at least one collaborative project. And I'll share with you here in a little bit a website I've set up for you to do that. Um, I've been giving away a monthly prize of a technology goodie, and I'm going to continue to do that because I really think using media personally as, as educators is important, but moving it to the student level is critical. And I think this is a model which many schools could use for all content areas and all teachers because the form that these projects take can be differentiated depending upon what you teach and what your students teach. So here is the code. If you want to jot this down, uh, there are, I did share the slide share of this, and this is active through midnight Eastern time this Sunday. So if you want to pick up a copy of the ebook of Playing With Media, anybody, not just a winner uh, of the 10 digital backpacks for the conference, but anybody, um, can go to either playingwithmedia.com or go to my blog and click ebooks, and you can use the add to cart links and this discount code DIN TREAT. All is one word. It's not case sensitive. So check that out, and um, you know, hopefully the ideas I'll share here are going to be helpful. But uh, the the multimedia or iPad version of that, uh, which is normally 15 bucks, 
uh, it has 17 embedded videos and screencasts, and there's certainly, um, I, I still love books, right? I love to read them, and so it's good to have opportunities to get these ideas in more of a, a longer linear form. So let's talk about some of the basics of playing with media before we talk about examples. The first basic is that learners need to make stuff. And I like to use the word learner in this context instead of just student or teacher because all of us can be expert learners about different topics and contexts. We are the teachers in the classroom or the librarian in the library, the administrator in the building, but we're all learners and we need to make stuff. And that gets to uh, the idea that Astor, I think, was talking about the context in which we use skills and we develop skills and knowledge is really, really important. So basic number two is that we need to document and share what we make. And part of the reason for this, and I have a slide in here about Bloom's Taxonomy, is that as students create content and they are going to the top of the revised Bloom's Taxonomy, they not only can get the lower level knowledge and comprehension skills, but they also can get those higher order thinking skills. And there's a dynamic that, that happens when students create and share something that is different than simply filling out a worksheet or taking a test uh, that, that, you know, is a little bit more traditional. The other way this plugs into what I think many of you are passionate about is digital portfolios. You know, we heard Astro actually talk about the need to have a more differentiated set of measurements for teacher performance and for student performance. And I absolutely agree with that. It is ridiculous to have this myopic focus on an end-of-course exam or a single standardized test and, and the battery of tests. And, you know, yeah, do we want to start a movement? Absolutely. We need to change education in some pivotal ways. And one of the ways that all of us can work today doing this is with portfolio assessment. And so I'm going to encourage you to use digital text, audio, images, video with your students to document what they have learned and to then be able to to let them put their best foot forward with a portfolio at the end of the year. And of course now that can also take an ebook form. The next basic of playing with media is what I call the ethic of minimal clicks. And basically this means if I've got a process, let's say creating a video, and if it takes 20 clicks, for me it's, that's actually really low, uh, you know, 100 clicks. But if I can take a process, uh, just recording my voice and putting it online, let's take that one. Instead of 20 clicks, if that can take five clicks, that's a real big deal. And even if I know how to do it the more complicated way, I can do it more often and more frequently, and I can also help my students do it. And so it's not that I want to encourage shallow thinking. That's not it at all. I want to encourage the use of media tools to share ideas and to use media, and I really think tools like many of the ones I'll share today that support this ethic of minimal clicks are good. All right, I'm seeing messages that we lost audio. That is terrible. Um, is anybody hearing me with audio? Okay, good. We still got it from some other folks. Thank you very audio much. Audio is still good here, Wes. Okay, good. I was about to about to panic. Yay, look at that. All right. So let's, uh, last one, and I kind of referenced this already, is more media leads to better digital portfolios. A fast story that I found in a wonderful short book called, um, I think, Fear and, and, and Making Art is about a ceramics teacher who has two sections. One class, he says, I'm going to grade you on the weight of clay you fire. The other one, he says, we're just going to grade you on your final project. 
the, the, the section or class that was graded on the, the, the quantity of, of ceramics that they made created by the end of the semester the best examples of ceramics and why they had done more. They had iterated more. They had created more. I believe those same dynamics are true in a lot of other contexts. So the more your students write, the more they produce, the more they create, they will end up having a better digital portfolio of their work, and there's going to be more learning that takes place at the end of the day. So let's take a look at some examples. First thing to tell you is I've created a website that you can find at share.playingwithmedia.com, and if somebody wants to put that into the chat window, that'd be great. Um, the slide share that I have uh, put online for this session, most of the links are clickable, so you can click those from the slide share. But this is a website where lots of the examples from the book are in there, and there's also a contribute link so that teachers from around the world are sharing examples and by sharing one example a month, you enter yourself into a drawing. So last month in September, I gave away an iRig microphone that I'll tell a little bit more about, but it plugs right into an iPod or an iPad. Um, and uh, IK Multimedia has actually given me one. Um, I bought the, the one for, for, for September, but they've given me one to give away uh, next month. And this month, I'm giving away an audio recorder. So let's take a look at, at text and images first. Quick little personal story, and then I'll share um, another classroom story. My son is in eighth grade, and the first assignment that he was to do for his class this year was, uh, in English, was a poem. And so he wrote this poem called The Fire, and uh, took a little picture. I took a picture of the, the uh, final copy that he turned in for his teacher. Well, as we've done for a number of years, our family has a family learning blog, which, by the way, I would totally encourage any of you to do because I think it's a wonderful way to document our, our, our children's learning and, and see their growth over time. Um, and, and that can transcend whatever classroom they happen to be in for the year. So I asked Alexander, because he had keyboarded this in, to go ahead and put it online. And I won't read you the whole poem. I've only got two little um, sections here. But you can see there at the end, he's kind of repeating the fire that ate the forest. And again, this is just his first eighth grade uh, English assignment for the year. Well, I went ahead and put a tweet out and said, hey, my son just posted um, this poem. And in the next couple days, a bunch of people commented, and I say a bunch, three, okay, three people commented. Now, the middle person here, Nana, happens to be his grandmother, my mom. And, you know, on a typical assignment that he's turning in for class, his, his grandmother that lives in another state in Kansas is not going to have a chance not only to see it, but to interact and to give him feedback. So this was a big deal. But look at Joyce McGreevy, um, an author for Sierra Club Books and an editor for National Geographic School Publishing. What the heck is going on here? It was really motivating for him um, and, you know, to be able to get feedback like this and to be publishing for a real audience. So I want to encourage all of us to use some uh, words and a, and a sort of analogy that Marco Torres a great California educator that uh, Joe Brennan referenced in his presentation, calls the global stage. And so the World Wide Web can be this global stage for our students to be able to show their best work and to showcase what they know and what they can do. And for you in your classroom, if you're not already, to get comments, there's a wonderful project that started a couple years ago called Comments for Kids. And while this blog is still active, 
the project has really migrated from what I've seen to Twitter. And so you can use the hashtag comments, the number four kids, and then other folks around the world can see your post and leave comments for your students. If you teach pre-service teachers, and I, I do that at the University of Central Oklahoma, it's a great way for your students who are learning to be teachers to connect with real classrooms and real kids and talk about what a good comment is and how do we leave comments and uh, all kinds of issues surrounding social media and good digital citizenship. So a quick story from Geelong, Australia. Kath Morris is a great teacher there and she posted this in September about her class. She had been um, having, you know, students write, and one of her students, who was not a particularly, you know, super motivated writer, had, had just put a short post up on his blog. Jared had posted a blog. And 27 folks took time to comment on Jared's post. And the next morning, Jared's mom, or if we were in Down Under, we'd say mom, uh, emailed her and said, you should have seen Jared's face when he saw his post. He was so excited. And this is a screenshot that she made of her blog using a free tool called Cluster Map that will show you where people are visiting your class site. I want to emphasize that in order to have an impact, you don't have to have your students creating video and using expensive tools. Simply using text and having your students write for a bigger audience than their normal classroom group and classroom peers and the teacher can really be positive. And helping both teachers and students learn to effectively write with digital text is a key part of digital literacy today, and it's really, I think, an essential part of what we need to be doing as teachers that are focused on literacy. So. That's a text example. Let me show you, share briefly a video, or I mean an image example. Um, I took this picture. Well, let me ask this question. Where were you on November 11th, 2011, this year? Go ahead and put that into the chat. Uh, just like where, where were you in the world? I happened to be in Shanghai, China, and so I was um, looking across the river at what is called Pudong, and 15 years ago, that was all rice rice paddies and rice fields, um, and, and we had, you know, delayed our flight because we thought it might not be a great idea to fly on September 11th. I want to encourage you to think about documenting your life with photographs in a 365 photo project. And with smartphones, especially if you have a smartphone, this has become easier than ever because you can use tools like Instagram or Tumblr um, to be able to, yeah, did I say 2000? Yeah, I'm sorry. I meant yeah, I meant this year on September 11th. Um, you can use these kinds of apps to readily share pictures. And so this is a really great thing to practice photography skills, to become more aware of our environment as we're taking pictures. But I challenge each of you to do this with your classroom in a Photo 180 project. I, I shared this challenge two weeks ago in, in Qatar, um, in, uh, which is on the Persian Gulf at, at a mid-level conference that was there. I've shared it in Shanghai. Um, I, I would love for teachers to take, take me up on this challenge. The idea is every day your kids are in class, assign someone or have a volunteer take a picture that represents learning and then, and then archive that over the course of your semester. 
What can this do? Well, a lot of things. One thing you could do is that partway through the semester, at the end of the term, you've got a nice archive of photos. And again, these don't have to be you know, pictures of kids. They can be pictures of what you're doing. What are you learning? What are, what are um, you know, how, how would you graphically or with an image represent what we're learning in class? Kids can take those, and you might say, I want you to take five of those pictures, make a short narrated slideshow for me, um, you know, not more than 60 seconds of text, and let me know what you remember learning from that particular day. That's one idea. But, you know, building that kind of an archive, a, a visual archive of our learning, I think is a powerful idea, and mobile devices, uh, not just smartphones, but tablet devices and um, you know mobile learning tools can really make that a lot easier. So let's talk a little bit about audio. Of all the tools available today, uh, I really am, I think, most excited about audio, and I want to tell you a story to sort of explain why. And this involves Pearl Harbor and AudioBoo, uh, the website, which is also an app, and um, it's available for both iPhone and, and uh, iPod Touch. For those of you who have visited Pearl Harbor, put into the text chat right now uh, something that will summarize what you remember of visiting Pearl Harbor if, if you were there. What are some words, what's a phrase that summarizes the experience of, of being in Pearl Harbor? I had an opportunity two summers ago with my family to visit and my dad my dad's side of the family um, his grandfather or great-grandfather had a tree farm in North Dakota or sorry South Dakota by near Huron South Dakota and um, had like nine brothers nine nine sons and daughters three of those daughters went to Hawaii and became teachers um, and one is still uh, still surviving a little bit of a backstory anyway we were there at Pearl Harbor and yes Words that you're putting in, you know, sad, the silence, um, the quiet, the strange, a very respectful and somber tone because, you know, there are the bodies of hundreds of sailors that are still in the USS Arizona um, ship that is there un under the, the waters of Pearl Harbor. So as we were there, I had my iPhone in my pocket and I snapped this picture. And my youngest, Rachel, who was six at the time, or five, five, six at the time, was looking down at the hulk of the ship that, that's into the water. And we hear people say, a picture's worth a thousand words. However, in this particular case, we actually have words that go with it. And so I had my iPhone in my pocket, and I installed this app, which is free. It's called AudioBoo. runs on Android or iPhone. And you can also use a browser version, but I was, you know, out on the water and over in the, on the Arizona Memorial. And so I pulled it out of my pocket and I recorded about 90 seconds of Rachel talking about what she saw. And I didn't get set up fancy. Like you, you guys did a great job of having videos prepped for here. So if you want to view this later, I made a little screencast of this uh, the audio playing from AudioBoo. But it really is a touching example because in there she talks about, you know, there's 900 men in there and, and their, their body went down and their spirit went up. And there's no way I would have had an idea of my daughter having these thoughts about death and um, these, these reverent, you know, thoughts about these soldiers and sailors that were there without, without the audio. So I think it's a great example of the power 
of these kinds of mobile tools to record things on a field trip when students are outside of class. We should have students bringing experiences outside the classroom into the classroom with mobile technologies. So I hope that that story will inspire you and encourage you to think about, you know, when you take a field trip, take these tools with you. Um, we just had last month a teacher who took uh, his fourth grade students in Michigan to the State House on a field trip. And he had an iPod Touch, a free application called Cinch, and his kids recorded a short 45-second interview with their elected state representative. And they shared that. And it may not sound like a big deal, but it is a big deal. Recording our perceptions and our thoughts at the moment in the space where we're having an experience can really lead to additional um, insights and, and also make the learning stickier for us as well. So I see some questions in the chat about apps, and if you go to the website playingwithmedia.com and you click the link for audio, I've got links to uh, these kinds of applications. Um, Cinch was the one that was used for that recording, and I think I've got a screenshot of that here, uh, but there's several others. So one of the examples I have in the book is uh, Joe Dale's class in England, and they took a field trip in 2009 to uh, Normandy. And so one of his students, Brittany, recorded a short 47-second phone cast. So she recorded her phone, called in, and recorded this audio uh, right as they were, were headed back, uh, right after they had gotten back, I think, from riding across the English Channel. And uh, so that's another great example of using audio. Here's the one. Uh, Brad Wilson was the teacher. And um, Brad, by sharing this on the Share Playing With Media site last month, was the actual winner of the iRig mic, so I sent him one, and I'm not giving an iRig away every month, but it just happens I did that in September, and that'll be the prize again in November. But the point is, you can go to this website, click the links at the top to see examples of audio projects, tech, digital text projects, images, and video. And I want to mention this tool called SoundCloud. Has anyone in our webinar used SoundCloud yet to have students record and share things? The, the one caution I would say is that SoundCloud does not allow moderation yet. There's not an educational SoundCloud version. But the thing it does that I have not seen any other audio tools do is it allows for time-stamped comments. And this means that you and your students or another class you're collaborating with can leave comments that are tied to a specific second of the audio recording that you share. And so SoundCloud um, allows you to have a free amount of space, and then you can pay beyond that. It has an app for the iPhone, and um, I really, really love that function. So on the note of sounds, before we leave that, I want to encourage you to think about a sound blog. Um, I was inspired to do this uh, back in September in Shanghai when I met Jess McCulloch, who is a teacher, a primary teacher who teaches uh, Chinese language in Australia. And so I've had fun just using my, um, my mobile device. I was using my iPhone in different places to record audio of what is happening in that environment. And so I've taken some pictures and put those along with the audio. This is Jess McCulloch's sound blog, and she has created hers on the website posterous.com. And um, Posterous is um, a free tool that is basically a quick blog. And so that means that you can simply use email to email in audio, images, uh, video, all kinds of links like that. 
I see Susie Weiss uh, posting a question about an e-reader. Yes, you can definitely still read the e-book. Um, there are three versions available. If you want to download, for instance, um, the regular EPUB version, uh, you can use uh, different applications that are available to uh, to read EPUBs um, like Calibre. Um, there's some different ones that I have linked on my website. Um, you you can you know download and use the the Kindle app, which is which is free. Uh, but there's other applications like Stanza, um, uh, Google Books, uh, things like that that'll allow you to read those eBooks. So um, actually, let me let me see if uh, Porter. I'll pause for a second before we go on to video and just. Any, any questions that you've seen coming through the chat that you want to give voice to, uh, or anybody else want to want to post a question here, and I'll just I'll answer a couple questions before we jump on to more video. Porter is muted, so she may not be able to readily unmute her mic. I'm here. Okay. Any questions you want to give voice to and have me answer that you saw? Um, so I have to admit that I was off doing other things when he was in charge <laughs> oh, for a little okay. while, right. and he just hung up the phone. So <laughs> I no problem. That's all right. Folks are um, they're actively talking, but they're asking um, not so many questions. Okay. Yet. Well, that's Let's fine. See if there are well, any. Okay. So they want to know is audio book is audio boo an ideal podcasting host, or do you suggest others? So AudioBoo is really just for short recordings. AudioBoo uh, has a maximum of five minutes, and uh, we just took a field trip with Rachel's second grade class a couple weeks ago, and our little group of, of three students, uh, we had a, uh, an iPhone and recorded about eight or nine different recordings that the kids made of about different animals that we were learning. It's ideal for that kind of thing, doing a short little less than five-minute recording. If you want to do longer recordings, um, the, the um, application Cinch is really good because it doesn't have an upper limit on how long the recording can be. I'm working with some teachers in Morrison, Oklahoma right now on a veteran oral history project for Veterans Day. In fact, our Story Chasers group just bought five iRig mics that we're going to uh, loan to them and uh, let them use with their iPod Touches, and they are going to use Cinch as their interview audio program. And one of the things that's such a big deal about it is, you know, it immediately can publish to the web. Now, that means you, you don't want to do that in all cases, but it can take a lot of clicks to take an audio file that kids have recorded and, you know, figure out whose it was, for instance, and then, you know, put it on the on web on the web and, and do all those steps. So um, AudioBoo is really ideal for doing short little recordings. Uh, you want to do longer ones. I, I really like Cinch a lot. And I like iPatio a lot as well. So those are all good tools to check out. So let me go ahead and talk a little bit about video. And I will start by telling you another story about a video called The Dirty 30s, which was created by an Oklahoma teacher, Jeanette Hale, uh, back in 2008, using a free website that supported phone casting. And Cinch does support phone casting. My favorite phone casting tool right now is iPatio.com, which is free. How many of you had to read The Grapes of Wrath in high school? And I'll show you, I'll share my kind of feelings about it by, by saying had to, had to read it. A lot of folks read, had to read it. You know, this is sort of part of the, a, a canon of literature in a lot of high schools. 
The Grapes of Wrath, however, was written by a man who never visited Oklahoma. John Steinbeck never came to our state before he wrote this book, and yet a lot of you know people think about Oklahoma, they think about the Grapes of Wrath. They might also think about the musical Oklahoma, which is a little more positive. But Jeanette Hale was going through our Celebrate Oklahoma Voices workshop for Story Chasers back in 2008, and she wanted to include the narrated voice of her grandmother, who turned 90 the week of this workshop. Now, here's the question. How is Jeanette going to do that? Because we were in Oklahoma City, and she was in Guymon, which is in the panhandle of Oklahoma, because her grandmother, who was 90, had lived in the panhandle throughout the dirty 30s, and it was almost 300 miles away. Well, the answer was we use something called a phone cast, which is a combination of the words phone and podcast. And by having a phone number that she, that her uh, – actually, a relative went over to her grandmother's house and had her dial it. She was able to hand a phone to her, her grandmother and say, here, grandmother, tell us about the Dirty 30s. And that particular video, um, I, don't, I don't have to play for you today, um, but uh, the link to that um, is uh, – I'll, actually, I think I, maybe I'll go ahead and embed it on the wiki that I created, too. Um, but it's called The Dirty 30s, and it's just it's a great example of a narrated video that um, used phone casting to, to successfully make it. So videos like that, though, they definitely can take quite a few clicks and quite a bit of time. And as I said previously, I don't want to give you the idea that we don't want to you know, spend all that time making video. We absolutely do. But sometimes we can create videos with fewer clicks and perhaps make more media in the process of um, studying about a lesson than if we, if we weren't using those kind of tools. So uh, these are my girls this summer, and Sarah, who's on the left, uh, has started sixth grade. And so one of the five books she was supposed to read this summer was The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. Now, I share this story not because, you know, I, I wanted her to read that. She did a good job with, I think, all her other books. But we got to the week before school started, and she hadn't read The Hobbit. What are we going to do? Well, if you're familiar with Sparknotes, um, we, um, you know, could have just looked at Sparknotes and here, let's read the summary. But we decided instead to create a short five-minute video. And this is what I would call a no-edit video. These were our tools. We um, called on my son, who is a Lego fanatic and has all kinds of Lego minifigures to get us minifigures for all the major characters. Uh, together, we wrote a script that was going to be about five minutes long, about just summarizing the major events of what happened in this movie. We didn't have a Lego minifigure for an eagle, so we had to borrow a Webkins. We used a finger puppet dragon. We had a free teleprompter app for the iPad. And what we created, again, I won't show you right now, but I would encourage you to check this out. Um, when I did that screenshot, oh, I think, you know, a couple months ago, uh, it had 111 of views. It's over 2,000 now. There's a lot of interest definitely in The Hobbit, especially with Peter Jackson coming out with his movie. I think, uh, it, what is it going to be, maybe Christmas of, of uh, 2013? Anyway, this particular video is very fun. It was narrated by Sarah. Uh, we ended up taking the fourth take of it, so we didn't pause the camera. And if I go back here, you, you might be able to see, we used the iPad 2 as our camera. It is a big, big deal to be able to create video on a mobile device like this. 
I've taught a fifth grade Sunday school class the last three years, and I'm teaching sixth grade this year. And having done media production with students in a really short, abbreviated time, um, it makes a huge difference when you do it on a mobile device and the kids can edit it and, and produce it, you know, publish it um, in 10 minutes following class. So check that out, and maybe that will inspire you to, to think about it. I believe every classroom needs three things when it comes to a web presence. I think we all need a home base, and Maria Henderson, who is a wonderful employee of Apple uh, working here in the Midwest, use, uses that term basically to talk about a wiki. That's a jumping-off place where your students go to get to content. We need newspapers, which take the form of blogs in our classroom, and we need digital lockers where we can have confidential information, quizzes, grades, attendance, stuff like that shared. So let me share with you just a couple examples of that. Uh, I think we've got about five more minutes here, and I'm going to try to leave some time for questions. Um, we're all familiar with Wikipedia, but oftentimes people are confused when you ask them the question, well, well, what's the difference between a wiki and a blog? You know, wikis are wonderful places to collaboratively create documents. And so we need wikis in our classroom because one of the worst ways to to spend time is, is by having kids try to type in different URLs. You know, have your home base site. Your kids know to go there when class starts, and that's where you, they jump off to go to the activities of the day. This is an example of Rachel Boyd, who was teaching sixth and seventh grade or uh, year, sorry, uh, students in Nelson, New Zealand, and now she's just outside of Auckland as a half-time administrator. But a fantastic example of a WikiSpaces-based uh, learning portal that she's using for her website. Um, this was a site I used last spring with my Technology for Teachers class, and I built this on Google Sites. But these kinds of sites allow for others to see what we're doing in our class. And one of the terrible things happening in higher ed as well as in, in K-12 education today is that a lot of teachers lock up their activities and their curriculum behind a, a login. And so by putting it out there on a wiki, we allow other teachers to build on our ideas, steal our ideas, and hopefully be inspired by our ideas. So the other thing that we need is a blog. And pretty much every mainstream news site today allows for comments. And in the book I say, if your school website does not allow for commenting, then you need a new website. You need it to be redesigned. And of course we want to moderate our comments that are on our, our websites. And there are great tools to do that. This is Maria Nee's blog that she has. She's a kindergarten teacher in Deerfield, New Hampshire. And she is sharing things that she's doing in her classroom. You can see on the right the names of her students there uh, because they are um, being able to post on her blog as well. This is a middle school example. This is uh, Eric Langhorst, an eighth grade U.S. history teacher in Liberty, Missouri. And again, he is sharing things that his students are doing, things they're doing in class. And in some cases, he's sharing student work on the site too. Last example is a high school example. Uh, going back a few years, this is Darren Kerpatwa, who um, at the time was the chair of his math department at Daniel McIntyre Academy in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And Darren, I think, it should be world famous for the scribe blog and the way in which he had his students document each day on a rotating basis what they learned in their calculus and pre-calculus classes. By the end of the semester, they were using their blog as their textbook because their classmates had done so well. So the third leg of this uh, stool, if you will, a uh, virtual stool of, of, of the classroom, is the learning management system. And that could be Moodle, it could be WebCT, Blackboard, it, it could be Desire to Learn, 
but hopefully you're not putting all your content behind that password because if you are, you're really robbing the rest of the world of the opportunity to be able to, to see and interact with, with that content. So my question here is, how is virtual construction going on in your classroom? I don't know if the, um, the chat is uh, going to be archived, but I, I would suspect that it is. If you want to put a link to your learning portal, uh, what wiki site do you use for students to get out to content and to uh, see curriculum, a link to your class blog. I know there are lots of people in our webinar today that are are living and modeling these kinds of ideas already. So let me share just a few closing thoughts. Do you remember this? The opaque projector. Do you remember how hot the bulb of this would get when you would turn it on? It was, uh, you know, a pretty cool device. You could take a, a book or, you know, magazine and project that up on the board. But um, unfortunately today, in some cases, we're using interactive whiteboards as nothing more than real fancy opaque projectors. And while it is definitely a big deal to have a projector and to have an opportunity to have an interactive whiteboard in your room, I think the real key is interaction. And probably like many of you, I was very excited when MIT announced the EXO laptop or the OLPC a couple years ago. And I was so excited about the, the possibility that this kind of technology would transform schools. I saw this on Engadget. Um, a year or so ago where they were projecting this tablet for $75. And, of course, now we've got things like, uh, you know, the Kindle Fire. Remember this as we close. The right question is not what should we buy. The question is what do we want learners to do? What do you want your students to do? Uh, this is my son on a trip we got to take to Chicago using an iRig mic to do a little uh, audio and video recording about in, in the Lego store there in Chicago about an app that he's found where he was able to find out what was inside the Lego um, little minifigure uh, mystery, mystery containers. You know, we need our kids to be reporters, to be journalists, to be story chasers, uh, to, to not just play with media, uh, but to be communicating with media. But in order to learn those skills, we've got to play with the tools. So, you know, do you want your kids to write essays? If you do, they probably need a device that has a keyboard. This is a Google Chromebook that I had a chance to play with in uh, Maine a couple weeks ago. And my, my little quote there was a reference to the Jerry Maguire movie, you know, you had me at hello. You know, they had me at eight seconds. This thing literally boots up from completely off in eight seconds. Uh, but it requires connectivity. You know, without an Internet connection, I'm not doing much at all on a Chromebook. So there's lots of different possibilities. But here's an image that really gets to what I think our focus should be, and that's transformative learning. These are young ladies in Afghanistan uh, the summer before this, in the summer of 2010. If you know anything about the Taliban, if you know about how they view females and, and women having an education, you can understand how exciting it is for them to have an opportunity to not only have access to digital content at school, but to be untethered in their learning and to be able to take this wherever they want. Alan Kay says, the predominant technology in the classroom determines the predominant learning task. Most of us have lots of pencils in our classroom. We use a lot of pencils, and we'll still use those pencils. But as digital technology becomes more ubiquitous and available, we can change the learning task for our students. Our kids are ready for us to make this transition. I want to thank all of you who are here because you are key catalysts within your school, 
and within your community making these kinds of changes and modeling what this is supposed to look like uh, for, for not just students but for teachers too. So as we leave today, let's ask a couple questions. How are we going to let our students create? How are we going to give our students choices? And how are our students going to teach the curriculum? You know, Astro mentioned his, his children being excited about Khan Academy, and I think it is a great tool. But our kids need to be making those screencasts. They need to be showing what they're doing with robotics and teaching others. And you'll notice that the answers to all these three questions don't hinge on technology. Technology can be used in a powerful way to do those things. But we need to be learning together in transformative ways that really are, are examples of how we can learn um, you know, that are impossible without the technology. So please remember, go to share.playingwithmedia.com. Uh, check out the examples there. Share your own. I'd love to send you uh, some technology in the upcoming months. Remember the 50% discount, uh, Den Treat. And I think that's it. I didn't leave a lot of time for questions. <laughs>